0: Welcome, Church. I'm Debbie Fukumoto,
1: and I'm Carlton Fukumoto.
0: I serve in one another women's discipleship ministry,
1: and I serve the men's ministry.
0: And together, my husband and I serve and lead in reengage marriage ministry.
1: And today, we're going to be reading out of Ephesians 5:22 to 33. So please follow along with us as we read.
0: Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is ahead of the wife, even as Christ is ahead of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands.
1: Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that
0: Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen.
1: Now let's welcome up Senior Pastor Greg Ma.
2: Thank you. Praise the Lord for God's word this morning. Thank you, Carlton and, and Debbie, for reading that for us. Last night, uh, my wife is, was actually up here reading the Word, and she was really, really nervous about standing in front of everybody reading the Word, but I just really, really wanted to hear her say, wives, submit to your husbands, and so I got her to do it. Um, no, but I know that line right there, wives, submit to your husbands, is triggering for a lot of people. I, I know that that's a very difficult passage for people to hear, and maybe... Just after you heard that, you couldn't hear anything else that was read. And there was, there's some people who are going to read this and see this teaching and say, man, this is so archaic and outdated. Come on, this is 2023, right? Like, this is culturally irrelevant. And I, I, I want to admit this teaching that we're going to go through today is against cultural norms. It is. It is. But I also want to point out that when Paul wrote this in the first century to the Ephesians, It too was against cultural norms, where in a day when wives were subject to their husbands but had very little value compared to the men, and the men weren't expected to love their wives and to serve them and sacrifice for them, Paul was calling for this mutual love and submission between husband and wife. And so, yeah, that was countercultural. It went against cultural norms. And so let's agree that what we're going to learn today goes against the norms of this world. It was, it's against our norms today, just like it was back then. But I want to remind you, church, that you are not normal. You are not normal. You were never meant to be. We have been called out by Christ to be set apart to be different from the rest of the world. We are to be holy and sanctified for Jesus. So if we are saved by our faith through grace, we are now under a new society under God. And yes, it is going to be very different from the rest of the world. You are not normal. And so Paul goes through this teaching on what it looks like to be influenced by the Spirit. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about not being filled with alcohol, but rather be... Be filled with the Spirit and influenced by Him. And one of the ways we are influenced by Him is when we submit to one another. And today it's in the context of marriage. And so we start with looking at the wives' role in a Christian marriage, because that's where Paul starts in verse 22. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So let's start with the wives. Now, let's be very clear. This passage does not say women are to submit to men. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say girlfriends are to submit to your boyfriends. It doesn't say that either. It says wives are to submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And so this is a teaching specifically for Christian wives who have submitted their lives to the Lord. And I would even go so far as to say even if your husband's not a Christian This is your responsibility under the Lord. And so he says, submit, and what does that mean? What does that look like? It's it's a triggering word, but I want to put up a definition for us to understand this passage better. I think submitting could look like affirming the headship and leadership of your husband while applying your gifts and abilities to help him fulfill his role, his God-given role. It is affirming the headship and leadership of your husband while applying your gifts and abilities to help him fulfill that role. Okay, so let's, let's look at that first part of this definition. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write it down. Uh, but what does it look like to affirm the headship of the husband? Well, to affirm the headship of the husband in the marriage is to acknowledge that God has given him leadership and headship. He's given him a role to play. To govern the marriage and the home. And that is totally different from dominance and abusive control and authoritarian dictatorship. We're gonna see this later on in this passage, but but we can hear that and we're still thinking, man, it's archaic. This is outdated. Now, is it archaic? Well, it does go back to Genesis, which is the very beginning of the Bible and the very beginning of creation, but it's not outdated in that. It's a timeless principle that God has set into motion. It's an eternal truth for, for all of God's people at all times. It's kind of like that game. Have you guys ever played telephone where a person comes up with a phrase and they, they whisper to the person next to them, and that person whispers it, and what happens along the way? Right? It's kind of like someone originates a phrase. Maybe they'll say something like, Monica thinks Greg should drink some soup. And then down the line, a few people later, it changes. And it's something like, Monica thinks Greg should heat the soup. Right? And then by the end, what does it turn out to be? Something like, Monica thinks Greg is super cute. <laughs> Which is actually true. She does think that. But, but then actually, no, we go back to the beginning. What do we do? We, we say, what was it supposed to be? And we ask the originator, the creator of the phrase, what did you mean and what did you originally say? And in the same way, we realize that marriage through the ages and through cultures will change. Roles will change. And so we have to go back, dial it back to the originator, the creator of marriage and say, God, what was it supposed to be? What did you mean by it? And so we go back to the beginning, to Genesis, and we see what God says. And in Genesis chapter 2, we see that in the beginning, God creates a man. His name is Adam. Adam in Hebrew, the noun form is translated man. And he creates man. He gives him responsibility, headship, leadership over creation. Genesis chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to to work it and keep it. In verse 20 through 22, it says this, The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Highlight that word helper. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made it into a woman and brought her to the man. And so, from the very beginning, God's created design was to have a man to to have headship and leadership, and yet he saw that he needed a helper. So, he brings him a woman, an ever so needed helper, to help him fulfill his role. And in Genesis 2, everything was in order there was harmony, there was peace on the earth. Adam wasn't complaining, Eve wasn't complaining. Nobody was complaining, so why in the world today is it so hard for the world to accept or affirm that there should be headship in the marriage, that the husband should play that role? Why is that? Well, I believe it's because of what happens in the next chapter. Genesis chapter 3, we learn that sin enters into the world, and with sin, there's fallenness and there's consequences. When work wasn't ever toilsome or laborsome, work was actually enjoyable at one point. And when childbearing wasn't supposed to be painful and when marriage was supposed to have peace and harmony, all of a sudden sin brings suffering into the world. And God says in all those areas, we're going to see suffering. Work is going to be hard now. We're going to hate work now. That wasn't supposed to be. Genesis 3 verse 16, he says this to the woman. He said, as a result of the sin, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. in childbearing and pain you shall bring forth children. We see that's a reality. And then in marriage, the next sentence says, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And, and so God called it. He said that sin would do this. It, it would introduce the suffering. And in particular, there would be this tension now in marriages where the desires will be contradicting each other. The, the woman would want one thing. The, the man would want another. And commentators say, this is telling us that at some point the, the woman is going to want to take control and usurp the man's authority. And you could, you could take as inference that the man will resist and he will then rule over her and even dominate her. And so now there's this contradiction and there's this, there's this tension. And we see that sin has impacted the experience of marriage and it has distorted our view of marriage. And no wonder it's become normal. To resist a husband's headship and leadership. It's become normal. But church, for those of us who are in Christ, we are not normal. We are not normal. So do we trust? Do we trust that God has set up leadership, a structure in the context of marriage for the sake of order, for the sake of peace, for the sake of harmony, knowing that our desires because of sin will be contrary to each other? And so, when you're in a car and the wife wants to go this way, but the husband wants to go that way, and, and you know you could fight over that steering wheel, and we know that fighting over that steering wheel could be disastrous and destructive, submitting to Christ in the marriage is yielding to the husband, realizing there's only one steering wheel and there's one driver's seat. And so, submitting to Christ. Means submitting and yielding to your husband to take the wheel and to be in his driver's seat, understanding that there will be order instead of chaos and peace instead of war. Now, will your husband ever make the wrong turn? Yeah, he will, sometimes. The wives are like, yeah, no, more than sometimes, right? <laughs> Yeah, he'll make the wrong turn, but you've made a right decision in yielding to the Lord, submitting to the Lord by yielding to the leader that he's put in your marriage. And I pray that you'll see that you will be blessed because of your obedience to the Lord. You'll be blessed in that. Now, with that being said, there will be times where you should not submit to your husband And that's when he is going to lead you in a direction of sin. Or he's going to lead you in a place where you are going against the Lord. Or he's going to lead you into a dangerous, abusive place. And that's when you have to understand that above any other human on earth, Christ is your head. And so you submit to God above all else before you submit to any man. But in most cases, in general... Submitting to our head, Christ, means submitting to our husband. So will you trust the leader that God has placed in the marriage? I want to be very crystal clear about this. This is not to minimize the worth of the woman, which I think that's why it's contentious for a lot of us. But it's not to minimize the worth of women. She is not inferior. She is not unequal. She's not less valuable or less capable or less able than any other man. But we all understand that designated leadership is good and beneficial for us. We do, right? For example, I I grew up in the 80s watching the Showtime Lakers. Some of you guys are familiar with the Showtime Lakers. There is an all-star cast on the Lakers, such as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, James Worthy, and Magic Johnson, some of the most valuable players in the game. And yet, these incredibly gifted athletes, who did they subject themselves to? Who did they submit themselves to? Who was their head? Well, their head coach was a guy named Pat Riley. Pat Riley. Why did they submit to him? Why? Was it because Magic couldn't pass as good as Pat Riley? Is it because Kareem Abdul-Jabbar couldn't score as well as Pat Riley? Is it because James Worthy wasn't as worthy as Pat Riley? No, it wasn't because they were less capable or less able, but they understood the importance of coming under a head. So when Pat Riley called a play, the players complied. When he called a timeout, the players listened. And they knew that as long as they refused to all try to be head coaches on the court, but submitted themselves under designated leadership, they would see the wins. And they sure did all throughout the decade. They would see the winds. And so we understand the importance of designated leadership. You you guys do every time you come to church. Like I've never heard anybody come to this church and say, why are there pastors here? Why, Why do you guys have leaders? That's crazy. No, you come and you affirm that God has placed leaders in this church, pastors, to help lead. And not only do you affirm it, you guys show your appreciation. And I want to take a moment to thank you for the ways you show overwhelming, generous appreciation to us. And in particular, this week, the pastors, we received the gift, the pastor's appreciation gift that so many of you contributed to. And I think we were all overwhelmed by your generosity just over and beyond. So we want to thank you, and we want to let you know that we acknowledge our staff. Our staff does so much, and without them, we couldn't even do uh, what we do, and so we are showing them appreciation with the appreciation you've shown us. So thank you so much for that. But, but all that to say that we see you. We see that you not only affirm, but you appreciate leadership. And, and we do that when we go to work. You go to work, and if you have an employer or a manager above you, you understand that your job is to carry out the task or the assignment that they give you for the benefit of the company. You go to school, students, and, and you don't complain that, why is there a teacher in this class? No, you go, you recognize that teacher is there for your good, and so you submit, and you will do the assignments and carry out the instructions that the teacher gives you. We we just do that. In every sector of society, we do it in school, we do it at work, we do it in church, we do it in sports, we we look for it in the city. Because without it, we know that there's utter chaos and anarchy. And so we all desire order. But why is it, That when it comes to marriage, one of the most fundamental, one of the most significant units in society, why is it that when it comes to marriage, there's this discontentment and disgust that God should give us a leader? Why, Why would he do that? Why is there that discontentment? Well, I think, again, we go back to Genesis 3 and the effects of the fallenness of sin. I want to remind you what Paul reminds us in First Corinthians chapter 11, verse three. He says this, "I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God." And I am I, so thankful that he gives us this analogy to put it into perspective, just like the head, husband is to be the head of the wife. God the Father is head of Jesus Christ. Jesus the Son knows that he's not less God in essence than God the Father. And Jesus knows he's not less worthy of praise than God the Father. They're equal in essence and worth and value. And yet he subjects himself and submits himself to his head. For the sake of order in the Godhead. Because God loves order. God loves order. And so in the same way. Wives, understand you're just as worthy, just as valuable, just as capable, just as essential as any other man. But submission means submitting to Christ and affirming the headship that God has given to your husband. Okay, so we affirm headship, but it doesn't stop there because uh, submitting is also applying your gifts to help him fulfill his role. Here's the second thing. Submitting is applying your gifts to helping him fulfill his role. Someone once said to me, okay, you could call my husband the head, but I'm the neck that turns the head, right? I'm the neck. I control him, right? And I want to say, okay, well, necks are good and they're healthy, not when they force the head to turn right or left, but they're healthy and, and, and good when you're there to support and hold up the head. What an important role you've been given. And uh, wives, you have to understand how much leverage you have, how much leverage you have over how good of a leader your husband becomes. Like You have the ability to make or break your husband as a leader, both in the home and beyond the home, in his ministry, in his workplace. You have so much leverage. And so marriage, biblically, is not to suppress the wife's strengths, And it's not to annul her abilities, not at all, but marriage is a beautiful platform in which the fullness of your gifts and your abilities and your strengths can be optimized. Where where you can use it for the glory of God. Like if you are creative, you, you can help your husband suggest ways for him to lead your family. If you're calculative, you can give insight and wisdom to decisions he has to make at church or at work. If you're compassionate, you can model for him how to care for another human being, care for your children when he may have no idea how to. And so how do you use your gifts and abilities to help your husband be the best leader he can be? Submitting to your husband doesn't mean you just sit quietly and passively and, and wait for instructions and commands from him. It's not sitting there waiting for him to say, jump, and you say,
0: how high,
2: right? Like, that's not not what submission is. Submission is you proactively supporting him with your God-given gifts and abilities. Last year, my son, when he was about to enter sixth grade, he's going to become a teenager soon, right? And so before school started, we went on a father-son camping trip. And so we went up to the mountains together. We've never done it before, but this is our first time. We learned to set up a camp together, and we learned to start a fire together. It's super cool. Then we, uh, since we were in the mountains, uh, I took him mountain biking with me because I wanted him to experience something that's so dear to my heart, something I love so dearly, hoping that maybe he'll fall in love with it too. He didn't, not at all, uh, <laughs> sinner, but uh, he'll grow out of that. Uh, But, but yeah, it was just a really good time after that weekend. I was like, man, this is awesome. We want to do this every year um, as a thing that we do, father and son. But more than just having fun together, more than just bonding, there was a purpose to it. And the whole point was to create a space where we could talk and have a heart-to-heart conversation about things that he was going to begin to experience as he grew older. Stuff like body odor. And leg hair, and cracking voices, and eventually, way down in the future, that three-letter word, baby production, right? So I was going to talk to him through this because I wanted it to come from a parent and not from the world. It's a really good time. But you know what made this trip happen? My wife, Monica. I didn't know this was a thing. I didn't know that we, we should talk about this stuff and, and we should go away and spend time as father and son, and yet my wife, Monica, looked into it and she found a curriculum called Passport to Purity, put out by Focus on the Family, and it helps walk you through some of these conversations, and then she prepared all these activities for us to do uh, that corresponded with the chapters, and she gave us the materials and the instructions of how to do them and gave us a schedule of when to do them and And she helped put this weekend together so that I can just go and be with my son. And what I appreciate about it is that Monica didn't try to usurp my authority or my role and say, I'll take Evan and I'll explain all this to him. And she didn't criticize me for for being a bad dad and not thinking of this on my own. But she did it to help me and set me up for success to be a good father to my son. My hope is one day my son will look back on these These trips and these years and say, my dad was a good dad. My dad was a good dad. But I'm seeing my wife's role in helping me thrive as a good leader in my home. And so submitting to your husband, it's affirming, first and foremost, his headship and leadership, but it's also applying your gifts to help him lead well. So how can you thoughtfully, I want to empower you Wives in the Lord, how can you thoughtfully, intentionally help him reach his full potential to be all that God has made him to be? How can you come alongside him? How can you affirm him? How can you challenge him? How can you cheer him on? How can you stir up his heart and his mind and his soul to live out his God-given capacity? And don't just submit passively. Support actively. Actively. Okay, so wives, this is what it looks like to come alongside to help your husband. But now we get to verse 25, and we turn toward the husbands. And from 25 on, if wives are, submit to, are to submit to their husbands, Paul says husbands are to love their wives. Husbands are to love their wives. Now, how, how many of you have ever watched the, the movie Jerry Maguire? Jerry Mag- Anybody here watch Jerry Maguire? Okay. Good. I haven't, but I know there's a lot of good uh, lines in that movie, famous lines. And so there's this one line that stuck out to me, so I went to look it up to see why he says this. So in the movie, there's this sport agent, his name is Jerry McGuire, and he's trying to be an agent for this football player named Rod Tidwell. And Jerry McGuire wants to help Rod to be the best he can be, the best athlete he can be, but Rod is all about the money. Just show me the money. Show me the money, right? That's a famous line, but that's not the line that I'm talking about, see? Because it's more than just money. And Jerry Maguire is trying to help him to see it's more than just that. you gotta be, you got to be healthy. you got to be strong. And so he's trying to help him, but Rod is just making it very difficult for Jerry Maguire to be a good agent. He's just making his job very difficult. And there's this one scene where out of his frustration, he's just had enough. He's frustrated. And so Jerry Maguire says to Rod, he says, Help me help you. Help me help you. I share that with you because, husbands, you've been given a helper. So help her help you. Help her help you. How? I believe we can do that by loving her well. And the Bible teaches us, so we don't have to be in the dark about this. There's two ways we see from the scripture. Let me give you the first of two if you're taking notes. Uh, Husbands, please take notes. Husbands, love by leading spiritually. Okay, we start there. Love by leading spiritually. And this is important because I know that we'll go to conferences and retreats and men's gatherings and you're always told, husbands, lead. You're a leader. Be a leader. And we're like, yeah, I'm a leader. But then it's like, but what do I lead her to? Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? And we're left directionless. And I want to say, well, there is a divine direction for leadership, and it's right here. Look at verse 25 through 27 with me, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. For what purpose? Verse 26, that he might sanctify her. Highlight that word. To sanctify means to make holy having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. And so if Christ is any kind of example to us, and he absolutely is, we see that his purpose was to love his bride and we're to love our brides like Christ loves his. Who is Christ's bride? It's it's us, the church. We are the bride of Christ. And his primary purpose for laying his life down for his bride wasn't simply to save her, but it was to sanctify her. His ultimate purpose for the church is to make her holy. It requires him first saving her, but the ultimate goal and hope is to sanctify her so that we would look just like Christ, that we grow in our holiness and reflect the beauty and the glory of him. And so leading our wives, understand this, isn't merely just stepping up and taking initiative and saying, okay, I'm taking initiative, and this, way, this, this weekend we're working on our budgets. And it's not calling the shots all the time and saying, okay, I'm making a decision for family vacation, we're going to go fishing up at Mammoth. Or we're going to go golfing on Saturday morning as a family. Or, 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 or we're going to Yosemite, which is great initiative. And I'm sure there's a lot of wives in this place who would love for their husband to take initiative. So that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing in many marriages. I'm just saying that this isn't what the Bible's teaching here. It might be implied. But in this passage, we see that God's design for the leadership of the husband is to lead her spiritually. To lead her spiritually. Because look closely, read it again. It says nothing about leading her to financial wealthiness or leading her to emotional healthiness or leading her to family togetherness. It doesn't say that. Those, Those things are all good. But explicitly, it talks about leading the bride to greater holiness. That was Christ's priority for his bride. And I believe it's the model for us. It should be the priority for ours to lead her to Jesus. And so your role in leadership is specifically leading your bride, your wife, somewhere. Where? To Jesus. And so it's it's like asking the question, where is my wife right now? Where is Jesus? And what does it take for me to lead her closer, nearer and nearer to him? What does it take for me to lead her to look more and more like Jesus? How do I lay my life down, kind of like a bridge, so that I could bring my wife to Jesus? I have a friend who, I love it, he gets his role. He understands his assignment. And he's asking that question, and his wife uh, isn't a follower of Christ. She doesn't go to church, but he really wants to lead her to Christ. And a couple months ago, we did a message here. We said, hey, everyone, each one, reach one, right? Each one, reach one for Christ. And he came to me, he said, Greg, my wife, she's my one. She's my one. She's the name I put in my phone. I'm going to keep trying to lead her to Christ. And even more recently, he, he, he shared with me, he says, man, he's had this deep conviction, like this, this almost nagging conviction, he feels this from the Lord, that he needs to go and confess to his wife something that he did a long time ago, a sin he committed against her a long time ago. And he never expected to tell another soul. He, he imagined he was going to go to the grave. He would be buried in the grave with this. And yet he just kept sensing the Lord was saying, go and confess it to her. And he kept trying to fight fight it off, but he couldn't resist. And finally, he told me he went He laid his life down. He laid down his pride and and his guilt and his shame. And he went and he told his wife the sin that he committed against her a long time ago. And she was not happy. She was not happy. She secluded herself in the room, stayed in the room for days, would not talk, would not talk to him. And all he could do was just pray. Then after a few days, the door opened. And she invited him up to talk. And I think she realized he didn't have to confess that to me. What made him tell me? And, and, and I think she was seeing that her husband was wanting to come clean before her in order to be a better husband to her. He wanted to confess and be a man of integrity. And I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but I believe that speaks And for him, it's a testimony that speaks to the work of God in his heart, in his life, to help him to become a better man after God and a better husband to his wife. And we pray that one day that his action will be like a bridge that's leading his wife nearer to Jesus. I love that. I love that he's asking himself, "Where is my wife? Where is Jesus? How do I help her get there and what does it take for me to lay my life down, whether it's laying my pride, laying my guilt, laying my shame, laying my ego down and hopefully it's going to be a bridge to bring her there." I love that's proactive. That's very intentional of him. And I'm realizing sometimes it's it's going to be passive in leadership. My wife Monica, Agrees with me that this is is good to share, but early in our marriage, uh, there was a time of frustration, especially for me because my wife um, was going through this thing with God where she was really angry with God, and so she just could not read the Bible. And she would not pray, and she didn't want to serve in the church. And that was so frustrating for me because I was a leader in our church. And I'm thinking, how do I lead the church when it can't, I can't even lead my wife? How does that even look? How does that come off? And so it was frustrating to me. And, and everything in me wanted to pressure her to just read your Bible and, and, and nag her and say, you got to pray. Come on, you got to serve in the church. Yet she made it very clear to me that she wasn't gonna pray or read the Bible or serve just because someone's telling me to. Not even you, my husband. Because to her, that's just legalism. That's, that's empty motion, and she doesn't wanna do that. And She communicated, I just have to wrestle it out with God. And it was so hard for me to, to, to resist nagging and pressuring her and realizing that all I could do was watch and pray for her from a distance. To watch and pray from the ringside as she just needed that time to wrestle with God and everything in me wanted to jump into that ring. But all I could do was watch and pray from the ringside. And I testify, it's amazing to see how I've seen victory in her life. I've seen Monica come out of that season and just be able to come before the Lord on her own terms, praying before the Lord, serving in the church, starting a ministry in this church, not because anyone told her to, but out of her relationship with the Lord. And the leadership lesson for me is I realized that my leadership wasn't so much my instruction to her as it was my intercession for her, interceding for her in prayer. It wasn't so much me preaching at her as, it, as much as it was me needing to just pray for her. And trusting her into the hands of the Lord, that, that's what leadership looked like for me in that season. And so I want to encourage husbands, you don't have to be this spiritual giant all the time. You don't have to be this preacher to lead her spiritually. It's just asking the question, how do I help her be near to Jesus? And maybe that looks like joining a re-engaged marriage group or a life group with her just because she's been asking you to deal with her. Maybe it's forgoing your golfing or surfing on a Saturday morning and watching the kids so that she can join women's ministry or maybe serve that weekend. Maybe it's helping her find a church where she can grow spiritually if she feels like SBCC isn't the church where she can do that. If SBCC is just not a place for her where she can feel like she can grow, maybe it's helping her find a church where she can. If she can't, Grow in SBC. If she doesn't like SBCC, she really needs Jesus. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but in all honesty, if that's the case, husbands, you go and we bless you, we support you, and you do what it takes to bring her nearer to Jesus. So what does it look like? Husbands, let's love by leading spiritually, considering ways to lead our wives nearer and nearer to Jesus, helping her grow in Christ-like holiness. Okay? Let me give you one more thing. Husbands, not only love by leading spiritually, but husbands love by leading sacrificially. And this is the last part of the passage, starting from verse 28. It says this, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I remember uh, before we had kids, um, early in our marriage, man, I was so in love, right? I was so in love with her, with my baby, and I I just remember pampering her, giving her nicknames. I wasn't a guy who liked to take selfies, but we, we would take selfies all the time. I would take pictures of her and... I would do that thing when, you know, like we would have to part ways and I'm walking away and I would kind of glance over my shoulder and sometimes do that double take. I know you guys do this. Some of you guys do this, right? When you do that backwards walk until you don't see her no more. It's so cheesy, but but you're so in love with her. And I remember there'd be like these Saturday mornings where I could be out doing anything else, but I just wanted to stay home and be with her, spend the morning hours with her my Mazda 3 hatchback. Just detailing her, the interior, waxing and washing. I was in love with my car. Snow White was her name. I was so in love with Snow White. And, And Monica would come out, seeing me spend countless hours with my car, and she would joke and say, man, if you spent that much time with me, if you gave me that kind of attention, I'd be the queen of the world. I'd feel amazing if you gave me that kind of tender, loving care as your stupid car right and and we get that guys we love our own we love ourselves we love our stuff we love our hobbies we love our bodies we love our health and our fitness and we'll make sacrifices to 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 love ourselves and what Paul is saying if you would just love her the way you love yourself verse 31 says that the two have become one flesh He's dialing it back to Genesis 2, verse 24. When you get married, two become one flesh. So the way you prioritize yourself and cherish yourself and nourish your own things, do so for her sacrificially. Why? Because it's not like she's like your own. She's your own. She is one with you. She is your body. And so how do you love her sacrificially and care for her like you do your own? I think that's important because the hesitation A lot of it, I believe, today in the idea of husbands as the leader and wives having to submit to them is this fear of male domination and abuse and control and and selfless, you know, ego. But if Christ's leadership is an example to us, and it absolutely is, he absolutely is. He shows us what it looks like to lead with sacrificial love. And I'm telling you, for a leader in his day to lead like that, it's not normal. It's not normal. I want to bring you back to one last scene before we close. But remember that last supper up in the upper room? They're in this upper room, and Jesus knew that the next morning he'd be in the garden, and they they would arrest him. The Roman soldiers would come with chains and clubs, and they would crucify him. But Knowing that was going to happen, they're in this upper room for one last supper, sharing one last meal. Jesus is giving his last words. And can you imagine if, if you know, like the, the Roman soldiers and the Jewish leaders find out that they were there, and instead of waiting till the next morning, they go early to arrest him. Well, in, in that room, that night, as they're eating supper, Jesus is actually teaching them about leadership. Not only does he teach them, he shows them what it looks like. And after supper, Jesus gets down on his knees and he gets into the dirt and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. The master is doing this. And get out of your mind, this is no pretty little pedicure. Like this is dirty work. He's like getting, these disciples have been walking all day through Jerusalem and Galilee in the dirt, in the mud. Their feet are calloused. They're sweaty, they're they're nasty, they're smelly, There's, there's fungus. And he's getting between their toes and he's cleaning between their toes and taking in all the odors, getting under those black toenails. This was dirty work. And as he's washing their feet, imagine the Roman soldiers are ahead of schedule. Imagine the scenario. Instead of waiting till the next morning, they, they find out they're in that room, and so they bust through the doors. They break down the doors and say, where's your master? Show us your leader. And they're caught with their skirts up because they're getting pampered right now. They're like, where's your master? And they go, um, he's right there. No, not your laborer. Where's your leader? No, really, that's, that's him. No, not your maidservant, not your manservant. Where's your master? Where is he? And they say, no, seriously, the head of our crew is down at our feet. Like that's him. You have to imagine for the disciples, this is the one who is in the highest place in heaven, who's now in the lowest place on earth, pampering and washing their feet. And not only does the king of heaven stoop down so low to go to the lowest place on earth, he actually stoops down even lower if that were possible by allowing them to lift him up onto a cross the next day. To die so that they might have life. Mark says he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It would have melted the minds Blown the minds of of Roman soldiers, religious leaders in that day to to catch their leader, whom they say is king of the Jews, down in the dirt, washing their feet. Why? Because that is not normal. Leaders do not serve those who are supposed to serve them. That is not normal. But church let's be reminded that we are not normal because the God that we serve is unlike any other. He is not normal. And so husbands, I really believe that it will do a deep work in your wives when they see a husband humbly committed to leading like Jesus, sacrificially, leading her spiritually, Like she was your own. Because I'm telling you, in this world, that's not normal. And when you do, I believe the wives will find it much easier to submit to you as her head in everything. And I'm telling you, that's not normal. And so husbands, will you see, recognize that God has given you a wonderful helper? So help her help you. And to the wives, help him help you and when we do that together i really believe this is the biblical design for marriage and it will bring christ so much glory because of how beautiful the bride is according to what he said amen amen Amen. let's bow our heads and let's let's come before our god and king and lord we just thank you so much that you have given your life up for your bride the church You submitted yourself to the instruction of of God the Father to come from heaven to earth to die for us so that we would have life, that we would not just be saved, but that we would now be sanctified as the bride of Christ. And God, it's out of that gospel truth, Lord, we pray that you help us to now respond to want to be the beautiful bride of Christ on earth. That we would live the way you've instructed us to. Knowing that your instructions are for our good. They're good. They're not meant to destroy or to demean. But they're meant to edify and build up. And so Lord, help us to trust you. And live these things out because of the gospel that's been made known to us. So Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your amazing love. You are our king, and so we worship you now, and it's in Jesus' name we pray.